Welcome to Agents Influence Podcast, brought to you by the parent company, Grow Program. Grow Program helps agents utilize online tools to help market and brand their agency online. Find out more information at www.growprogram.com. Also remember, we have a very strict antitrust and comments policy. You can find those policies online at agentsinfluence.com. Now, let your voice be the sound of your feet upon the ground. Let's go. And, uh, but here's the dilemma. We always looked, in my opinion, the industry was built from the carriers to the agents to the marketplace. What has happened in, the, in recent years is we have moved from that model to a model. Now, all the power rests with the clients, the marketplace, the market niches, the customers. And then the agents have more, will ultimately have more power than the carriers because they're closer connected if they remain. Let me, let me, there's a presentation, I might have sent it to you. I did, uh, I did part of this for the ARM conference in New Orleans in April, and I did this for the Resource Pro conference in New York City. It was under different titles. But I compared to show the, the significant amount of change that can occur in a short period of time. I created one slide that was yesterday, and it was titled 2003, recognizing I was in 212, recognizing back to 2003. And let me just give you the high points that I hit in that presentation. In 2003, we had a healthcare and healthcare financing system that were private. They were not government controlled. And in 2003, you could not have convinced anybody we would have ever had Obamacare. Today, Obamacare is the law of the land. I don't care whether you can work or not work. It is the law of the land. You're right. In 2003, the Black phone had the, the BlackBerry. Excuse me, the BlackBerry was the smartphone of the future. It had won an award as the technology, the most fabulous technology created today. There was no Facebook. There was no Twitter. There was no iPhone or no iPad. GM was the number two company in the Fortune 500. Time Magazine's Man of the Year was the American Soldier. AIG was a major, if not the major player in the entire insurance industry. And Amazon had net income of $35 million. Holy moly. Now, let me, let me gradually step you through here, because in 2008, on, on the AIG item, in 2008, I was one of the two instructors doing the insurance segment at the Advisory University, which is a, continuing educa- a week-long continuing education event for KPMG consultants. They fly in 1,000 to Chicago, 1,000 to Orlando, they choose the courses they want. And we had two days of class, about 30 people in the room, everything from senior partners with KPMG to freshly minted uh, MBAs who hadn't seen the first day of real work. And one of the young people asked me, tell me how an insurance company goes bankrupt. And I used the champion insurance company model. That was a big failure here in Louisiana. It was politically corrupt and everything else, but it was an easy example to explain. And then they said, well, tell me, give me an example of a rock-solid financial insurance company. This was June of 2008. I said AIG, and some of the senior partners 
of KPMG that were in the room that were doing work at AIG and Hartford and everywhere else nodded in agreement. Two months later, they were gone. Wow. Okay, now, what we just heard about 2012, uh, I mean, with 2003 now, in 2012, we have the PPACA, the Affordable Care Act. GM's been bankrupt. Time Magazine's Man of the Year is the protester. The power has gone to the marketplace. AIG is gone. China, India, and Brazil are models of economic growth. The EU is vulnerable. New Orleans' population has gone from 484,000 in 2003 to 150,000 left in uh, 2012. And I think what is the next statement is probably best. Now, remember, since 2003 and 2012, in that time, Japan had the earthquake, tsunami, nuclear disaster. Japan is the ultimate patriarchal society. And the quote that was in an article about that meltdown and the people no longer believe what the government tells them in Japan. In America today, people no longer believe what the government tells them. The people are taking over the world. The world isn't taking over the people. The reason that is occurring is technology, spelled traditionally. It is the Internet. All the world's knowledge is accessible to everybody. And the world can organize itself. Think about Occupy Wall Street. Think about the flash mobs. Think about Hosni Mubarak, who had guns and weapons and airplanes, and he was overthrown by a little fruit vendor that burned himself that started that Arab Spring. You think of Bank America and Netflix and Verizon that were back down on, on, on rates they were going to change. They were going to go up $5 on their debit card charge. Within two days, the virtual world shut them down. Yeah. Wikipedia is the marketplace writing in the encyclopedia. That happened in 2012. Wikipedia had 26 million pages. That same year, Encyclopedia Britannica ended its print edition. If you think the world's not going to change, go online, look up YouTube, and look up 3D printing, desktop manufacturing. Absolutely a fascinating thing. It's so so far out there. I don't even understand 3D printing, and I've been watching videos and reading about it, Mike. Um, Yeah, that is... uh, Wow, I mean, you, you, you'll be. You, am I correct that you'll be a consumer with a 3D printer? You'll be able to pr- uh, pretty much make anything you want out of your basement, including from a gun to a to a, 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 a computer. I mean, yeah. it's it's the, pretty pretty amazing. The one I saw demonstrated, uh, it looks like the printer I have on my desk right here, and in the what would be the paper drawer, it was actually some sort of resin they showed. They put a crescent wrench on the screen. They covered the lid and. A, the machine, I don't know how long it took, scanned that, that crescent wrench. You heard the machine working for a little while. A few minutes later, they pulled out a working crescent wrench out of the drawer that where my paper would be. Holy cow. Yeah. But, I, but since we on the agency side don't manufacture, technically, I will ask you and your listeners what I asked the audience in, uh, at the ARM conference and in New York at the uh, Resource Pro conference. I held up my iPhone, and I said, will Siri, you know, the artificial intelligence built into the iPhone, will Siri be your next producer or your next CSR? 
And, of course, those agents rolled their eyes. They crossed their arms. They crossed their legs. They tensed up. You could stab them in the neck, and you couldn't penetrate the skin because they tightened up so much. <laughs> they were so mad. And they were thinking, no way, Mike. The one thing that protects us as agents, and look, I love agents. I've been in this business 40 years. We have the knowledge and we have the relationships. And I kind of leaned forward in my aggravating style, and I looked at them. I said, let's take the Affordable Care Act as an example. The Affordable Care Act has 2,000 pages of legislation. It is projected to create, result in the creation of up to 200,000 pages of regulation that will ultimately lead to tens of millions of pages of legislation, interpretation, and litigation. It is absolutely impossible for any human being to keep current as this thing becomes implemented. The only way you're going to be able to answer correctly and consistently, and if you're in the insurance business and you understand risk and you understand E&O, you better answer correctly and consistently. Being inconsistent can get you more in more trouble than being incorrect. It's true. That the only way you can do that is with artificial intelligence. And so after they calmed down and, you know, quit throwing things, they said, well, we still have the relationship. A week later, a week after the trip to New York, I was listening to NPR, and they were talking about the utilization of facial recognition technology in the iPhone now. And basically they're experimenting, but the technology is already there and it will be readily available soon, where when I am texting you, or more correctly, when my 18-year-old CSR is texting one of my customers, she or he who is talking by technology with my customer, who's never looked another human being in the eye because they're always texting, the machine will be reading my facial reaction to the text, and they will be able to tell my mood better than I could if I was in a room with all my experience. Whoa. Enough said? Wow. Yeah. Wow. Wow. You know, and uh, uh, I got, uh, wow, powerful stuff, Mike. This is this is this is good stuff. This is good stuff. And uh, you know, I'll throw my little tidbit in there. Um, my friends don't believe me, but I'm a huge Google geek, Mike. I think the iPhone will not be a major phone in ten years. I really do. Uh, I believe that uh, Apple grow, grows because of Steve Jobs. I think that it failed because of Steve Jobs, and then Steve Jobs came back, and Apple once again rose. And I think that they're having severe problems right now. And they're, uh, you know, outside of Siri, they really haven't come up with anything new other than a new battery charger and a high display uh, resolution screen. And, uh, you know, I, I really believe that uh, Google will be the future. Um, and, you know, how long they'll even be the future, I don't know. But that's just something, another thing out there to get my listeners all riled up about because me and my buddies have arguments about that all, all every day. So you're talking about the things that are going on in 2003 and then who we are today. I mean, I think you gave a lot of great examples, but one of the things that really hit me the most was in 2003, the person of the year was the American soldier, and in 2012, it was the, the protester. protester. Wow. Holy the, And the soldiers Lord. got guns. The protesters have technology. Wow. Have the Internet. Yeah. Have the ability wow. to organize all over the world. Let me, let me bring us back to a conversation that you and I haven't had yet, but I've had with agents before. 
Okay. Because of what I said when I opened my comments about Drucker and whom the gods wish to destroy, they send 40 years of prosperity. The agency system has been incredibly good to the people who are good at it. And in that capacity, sometimes business owners who are highly successful become delusional about their management and their leadership expertise. Sometimes they're just at the right place at the right time. And forever I have been trying to, I've worked with agencies on their organizational culture. Culture is the personality of the organization. Culture is the house rules. Culture is what's tolerated. And every organization has their culture. And I used to, when I was naive 20 years ago and started talking about working with organizations, I'd say, let's change the culture. I've given up on that. There's only two ways you can change the culture of an agency. One is to change the people. Two is to change the people. In other words, reorganize, regenerate, recreate each individual into a new person and then build them as a team or fire everybody and start a new. One of the greatest, one of my greatest things I've ever heard, and I heard Jim Rohn say it one time. He said, if you can't change your people, change your people. And that and that goes back. I mean, when you, I have never ever heard anybody else say that, but that that is it right there. That is it, and that is a hard thing for business owners to do right there. Um, and and that is one of the you know matter of fact, most of them can't even change their own thoughts, let alone change their own people. And wow, very 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 powerful. Wow, Mike. Well, let me let me take you through the rest of this thought process very quickly. So no, so sorry, I, I had to jump in there. I oh, haven't oh, heard no, any, no, I haven't heard anybody else say that before, Mike. And that that no, was awesome. That was awesome. I appreciate the reinforcement. Yeah, I will tell you this, uh, Max Dupree, who wrote a lot on leadership said the first role of the leader is to define reality. When you've got a successful business, very few people can define reality. If you do a SWOT analysis with an organization that's had a moderate degree of success, they're still breathing, they'll give you 100 strengths in the strength and weakness comparison. They'll give you three weaknesses, and almost without exception, three weaknesses are tied directly to somebody who's just been fired or going to be fired soon. <laughs> when I work with organizations on strengths and weaknesses, I let them give me the strengths, we'll consolidate, so I've got to have an equal number of weaknesses. If you can't give me more weaknesses, we're going to take off some of the strengths. But I'm, I, I, I do, I've gotten distracted. Here's the deal. Forever I've asked the agencies to define their culture, and they find it difficult, if not impossible. I, I don't think they want to look that deeply. They don't want to acknowledge the truth. So what I finally did about a year or two ago, I created a continuum. And since the independent agency system, I think I can get universal agreement on, is family-based organizations. I found five five families that most people in the world today will know about or can Google and learn about. So here are the five organizations I use in my agency continuum. They're all TV programs or war TV programs, so most people have seen them or then you can go on Google. The most primitive of the organizations in our industry would be compared to Fred Flintstone and the show The Flintstones. Next would be Father Knows Best. That was Jim Anderson, Robert Young, who at one, later in later years played Marcus Welby. It was in the 50s. Jim Anderson was an insurance agent, very successful, and it was a feel-good situation comedy in the 50s. Then the midpoint of this continuum is Archie Bunker and All in the Family. Most people today will remember Archie, whether they're my age or younger. Oh, yeah. Then there were the Huxtables. 
uh, Cliff and Player Huxtable. That was a Bill Cosby show. Mm-hmm. And then finally there were the Jetsons, Jane and George Jetson. Now, most people today, if I ask an agency principal to pick yourself out on this continuum, almost without exception, they will look at that continuum, and because they have an applied or AMS system, because they have a couple of iPads in their office, because they own an iPhone, and because they have some people of color working in the organization, they will position themselves somewhere to the right or the left of the Huxtables. If I dig deeply into the organization, almost without exception, they are somewhere between Jim Anderson and Archie Bunker. And why? And why? And I mean, why? 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 Why do you say? Why do you say that? Because if you, I, and this is an hour-long, two-hour-long program I put on there. But when I do that continuum, I do it on uh, the first way I do it is on uh, Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Most people are familiar with that, survival, yep. security, social, yep. self-esteem, self-actualization. Yep. And then I do it on, on functions, skill sets required to exist in those two. So Fred Flintstone was at the survival level, and the only skill needed by Fred and the people in his team, his family, was to react. Saber-toothed tiger shows up, you better react. <laughs> Jim Anderson was all about compliance. It was security. Jim Anderson, if you were a member of Jim's family, you were well taken care of, but you said, yes, sir, and yes, ma'am. And his wife told him, yes, sir. It was controlled by the boss, the old white guy in charge. Archie Bunker, in my opinion, was about the social element. Archie himself wasn't social. I think Archie was angry because he didn't have the resources Jim Anderson had, and he certainly didn't have the compliant followers that Jim Anderson had. What drove Archie crazy is his family, his team members, were starting demanding the right to think. When you work for Jim Anderson, you just did as you were told. People wanted to start thinking on their own. They wanted acceptance. They wanted acknowledgement. Then uh, the Cliff and Claire Huxtable, first of all, that was a team. It was a man and a wife. It was in technicolor. It wasn't all black and white. And they were about the self-esteem. They were talking about growing the talent of their children. George and Jane Jetson, George worked three three-hour days, and they had they had the Internet before the Internet was ever thought of. So they had access to all the world's knowledge and all the time in the world to do whatever they wanted to do. So if you take it, I've taken you through Maslow's. If I took you from the bottom up, it would be about doing, thinking, uh, excuse me, reacting, doing, thinking, creating, and imagining. Wow. Now here's a dilemma in most agencies. Most agencies today have gone to technology in a pretty good way. They have applied and they have AMS. They have Porsche automobiles, and they're driving them at 35 miles an hour. We have overinvested in hardware and underinvested in the results and the utilization of that hardware. But it was a stretch to get people who have been told, the CSRs, the mispatches of the world, who have been told what to do every day of their life to start thinking on their own. Because when you move from doing to thinking, if you screwed up when you would do it, if you did as you were told and you screwed up, it was the boss's problem, not yours. When you start thinking, you're taking risk, and most people don't like to take risks. Wow. 
But let me take you to, into tomorrow since we're talking about tomorrow. We talked about reaction, doing, thinking. Then we talked about creating. Uh, uh, Claire and Cliff Huxwell were about creating a better life for their children, creating the opportunities. The Jetsons were about imagining. And when you said Bill Gates, it triggered the thought in me because people have a t- people can understand, react, do, and think. They have a difficult time with creating and imagining. In my opinion, Bill Gates understood computers, technology, and he created the new world of computers that we face today. Now, you, you talking? Did I say Bill Gates or I meant Steve Jobs? Uh, you, oh, you said Steve Jobs, but I'm talking about Bill Gates. Okay, Steve Jobs okay, 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 thought. okay, okay. Steve Jobs was George Jetson. Steve Jobs understood the world. Look at the computers that Bill Gates had created, and Steve Jobs imagined what the possibilities are. We're continuing to benefit from Steve Jobs much more than we are from Bill Gates, and that's no slap in the face at Bill Gates. A hundred years from now, we will remember Bill Gates as a very rich man who made his money in computers. We will recognize Steve Jobs as the man who changed the world. Yeah, good, 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 good stuff. Wow, good stuff, Mike. Mike, I knew this this podcast would be great, but this is this is good stuff. I can, I guarantee you, the listeners out there are just enjoying this hardcore. Now, I would suggest this, Jason. Some of them are sitting with a garbage can next to them, throwing up as I speak. And I, I, sometimes when I do presentations, I bring a garbage can and put them up there and say, "If you get sick, it's okay to use it." Because <laughs> I'm taking people where they don't want to go. Yeah, yeah. You are, and, that, and that's fine, and that's fine. Let's wrap this up, and I want to wrap this up in the next five, six, seven minutes here. And what okay. I want to do is I want to talk a little bit about uh, the future of the industry, not so much what we've been talking about here, but let's talk for a minute just about where we're going as far as actuarially speaking, as far as rates, as far as maybe how we're going to use technology to um, using some of these uh, cap models that they're using and how it is totally going to restructure our rates and stuff going forward. I know that's hard to ask, Mike, in the next five to seven minutes, um, you know, but we have time. But I want to just kind of let us know that I need to wear it down a little bit because this is part two of the podcast. Um, So, I mean, where... I mean, you know, you and I spoke a couple of days ago, and, and I'll start it here. You said to me, you said, Jason, the marketplace has no idea what's getting ready to hit them. That's when you say that, start there and tell me what you mean. Okay. Let me back you up again. Drucker, in my mind, was one of the smartest men that ever lived in, in the world of business. And in 1993, he published a, an op-ed piece in the Wall Street Journal. It was called The Five Deadly Business Sins, I believe. And in there, he said simply, yesterday's world was about cost-driven pricing. Businesses added together all their cost, then they placed a profit on top of that, and that's what they charged the consumer. He said, in tomorrow's world, because of a sophisticated consumer with unlimited options and access to all the information they need, we're going to move to a model of price-based costing. The marketplace, the consumers, are going to choose whatever they want and establish a price they're willing to pay. And along with that price, they're going to have a quality demand for the price they're paying. And then the manufacturers, distributors, the insurance companies, and the agents are going to be forced 
to innovate their processes to come in under that price. Again, we in yesterday's world, the insurance companies could charge what the hell they wanted. In tomorrow's world, they're going to have to charge what the market is willing to pay. So how do you do that when you're trying to manage risk then, Mike? Well, first of all, I'm not sure people want risk managed in the future. Risk management suggests you're you're going to deal with the losses. And I think people are more interested in setting up a, a, a loss reimbursement model versus a risk management model. But that's a longer discussion. Let me give you what I think is going to – when I talk about the agency today – I consider the year 2013 the year of chaos. And I believe this is where chaos occurs and change will grow out of the chaos. We have PPACA, the Affordable Care Act. It's the law of the land. Nobody knows what's going to happen with that. But Max Baucus, the senator who was one of the key proponents of it and key builders of it, said it's a train wreck. Uh-huh. What we have today is not sustainable. The new law will not work. The marketplace has about 10 months to shake something out, 10, 12, 15 months, 18 months. That's the fact. The good news is we spend more than enough money on every man, woman, and child in America to give care for everybody. It's dysfunctional how the money is spent. We spend about $8,500 on every man, woman, and child in America on health care and health care financing, long-term care, everything. That's enough money to take care of everybody, whether you use an insurance model or not. But this whole thing's got to be reworked because you've got to wring all the inefficiencies out of it. So you've got PPACA forcing that function. We have the new CAT modeling that is going to push the, the property rates out of the reach of most people. And what, unless you, I live on the coast, I have a house insured for probably $200,000. I know the industry, I know how to get a good rate, and I pay probably $2,200, $2,300 a year for homeowners insurance with about a $5,000 wind deductible. If I didn't know what I knew, I'd be paying $4,000 a year on this house. Jason, you don't pay anywhere near that if your house has the same value as mine. Absolutely not. Mine's about $800 here. In okay. California. But the majority of people say, well, that's those dumb coon asses that live on the coast, and they ain't smart enough to move, and they, we ain't going <laughs> to subsidize them anymore. <laughs> well, the new the new cat modeling, first of all, about 60% of the, the, universe, the United States population lives within – 100 miles of a coast, and that new cat modeling is realizing that there's much catastrophe exposure 50 miles from the coast as there is 9 miles from the coast where I live. Rates are getting ready to go up higher over a much broader scan of people. But it was still a Louisiana, Florida, Texas, Alabama, Mississippi problem. Those dumb southerners, they don't know any better. Until Sandy hit in New Jersey. And now it's a much bigger problem. So we have the cat crisis, and we have those costs, and that exceeds the ability of the market to play. Then we're getting ready to require actuarial soundness on flood programs. They're talking about homes in New Orleans that have flooded before that will have a $25,000 a year home uh, flood premium. And if we do that for flood, our legislative stroke, our congressional stroke is sufficient in the South we can force actuarially sound rates on California for earthquakes or tornadoes in Texas and Oklahoma. And here's the dilemma. The market don't care about the insurance industry's actuarial soundness problems. They want a price they're willing to pay. Yeah. And so I believe the day of issuing, now I'm taking you out maybe farther than 2020, and if I didn't make you sick before, this will. 
the statement I make, in the future, your future success, your future greatness, if you want to be the Steve Jobs in our industry, I would suggest you capture population. You gather intimacy with that population so you know exactly what they want. And then you create the portal that that population shops through. In the future, it will be more important to be a portal for a specific population that you have intimacy with than it will be to be a product pusher driving one transaction at a time, a time to a customer base that you have representation of. Wow, that is, that is far out there, thinking that way. Let me ask you this. If I, had, if I could bring to the marketplace a group of 10,000 people and put on eBay a bid to the insurance industry, say, I have 10,000 people, the oldest is 97, the youngest is 14, in aggregate they have committed to buy $25,000 of term life on a 10-year annual renewable basis. Give me a ring. I would get that cost down so narrow it wouldn't matter because it's a population and I don't have to issue 10,000 policies. I issue one contract and everybody else can access their card off the internet. Wow. Interesting. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Look, oh. you look at what, look what progressive is doing with snapshot. We don't need a, the, the underwriter on your car insurance is under your dashboard. That's true. Thought about that. Yes. Okay, and here, let, let me drive on two, two other points I think are important closing. And here's where the real change is going to occur, and this is what's really going to upset my contemporaries in this business. When I turned 18 years old, my mother walked me seven blocks to the insurance agent, Mr. Snub, and she said, Mr. Snub, Mike's gone off to college. He needs his own little insurance policy for his car and for his stuff at school, Mr. Snub sold me, and my mama taught me how to buy from Mr. Snow. The next day, she walked me down to the bank and said, Mr. Marlin, Mike's going off to college. He needs to, uh, a checking account set up. Set it up. She taught me how to buy from a bank. Today, the 18-year-old is going to mama and saying, Mama, you've been buying from Mr. Snub and Mr. Marlin all these years. You don't need that. Look, I've searched the Internet. And you've been paying $1,000 a year for homeowner's insurance. I got it for you for $600. You've been paying $2,000 a year for auto insurance. I've got it for you for $1,400. Not only does Mama move to where Junior takes it, but Mama will never again trust Mr. Stubb and Mr. Marlin. The, the, our parents guaranteed the success of agencies. Our children are threatening the future of agencies. Boom. Way to close it out, Mike. That is that's fantastic. That is fantastic. So, Mike, um, as you said, you've got many presentations that could go on for hours, and I really believe that this could go on for hours. This is part two of the podcast, and uh, and um, uh, I'm, I'm 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 sitting here writing. I've got two and a half pages of uh, of just different notes and different things you've said, and I've got a hundred more questions that I want to ask, and I just can't do it. 
Um, but here's what I'm going to have. I know there's a lot of questions of the listeners out there. And uh, I want to let everybody know that Mike has agreed to uh, come back on June 25th where we're going to do our bro- a Google broadcast like we do. And he's going to sit on a panel. It's going to be June 25th at 10 Central Standard Time. Unless, uh, as Mike said, as long as he's uh, living and breathing, he'll be there. And we're going to allow you, like we do every month, to ask Mike the questions that you may have or ask him to dive a little bit deeper into it. Um, Mike, you've been uh, absolutely fantastic. I, I greatly appreciate uh, you you joining us. Uh, what, do you have anything uh, that you'd like to say here in under 30 seconds to just kind of close it out and anything you have to say last minutes? For a select few progressive agencies who are willing to become client-defined and client-driven, the opportunities are incredible in the future. The rest of you, God love you, are in hospice, and I hope your pain is minimized. <laughs> oh, you know, some may say that that sounds harsh, but uh, I say it, and I've had my mom say it to me a lot. The the, the truth hurts, uh, even when you're looking in the mirror, It's but it's still the truth. And uh, I I thank you very much, Mike, for your time. And once again, this has been the Agents Influence Podcast uh, owned by the parent company, Grow. So please check us out at growprogram.com where we've got a lot of exciting products that we're going to be rolling out and delivering. Also keep in mind that on May 28th at 10 Central Standard Time, we are going to be having the Google broadcast. Uh, excuse me, I apologize. We just did that. I'm reading I'm reading my notes from last time. Apologize to the listeners. On June 25th at uh, 10 Central Standard Time, we're going to be having the Google broadcast where you're going to be able to ask questions live to Mike and to our other speakers. Our speaker that we're going to uh, have on also at that time will also be Daniel Burris. Um, he will be speaking, so we're excited to have him as well. So um, once again, this is the Agents Influence Podcast. I thank you very much for listening. If you want to find out any more stuff about uh, Mike and all of his ideas and his thoughts, he's got a blog out there, please visit www.squareoneconsulting.com. Also find him on his blog. He has his blog online at squareoneconsulting.com. But you can also find it at uh, the triple W, Tomorrow by Intelligent Design dot blogspot.com so this is once again the agents influence podcast thanks you for listening and until next week we'll see you then